0: I went into the gym. It was the middle of a practice, and one guy went flying by, got hit by another guy's chair, grabbed the ball, and as he's falling out of bounds, he yelled, Time out. I thought, okay, I signed up that day. It was awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie, sharing stories, empowering mindsets.
2: Murder ball. Murder ball. That is another term for wheelchair rugby and should give you some indication of its intensity. Today's guest, David Wilsey, became a quadriplegic after he was injured during a hockey game in 1995. Shortly after his injury, he was introduced to wheelchair rugby and made the national team in 1998. David participated in five Paralympic Games throughout his 19-year career on the national team. In that time, he was featured in the 2005 documentary Murderball, and he appeared on the Rick Mercer Report. He has since participated in an episode of the documentary series Mindset Go!, and he is currently the assistant coach of the Canadian Wheelchair Rugby National Team. David lives in Dorchester, Ontario, and works for Lind Lumber, which he runs with his brothers. It was fascinating learning the history behind wheelchair rugby, David's experience with the national team, and the value of sport throughout his life. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, hello. Hello, guys.
0: Do
1: you go by Dave, David? It doesn't matter. I
0: get both all
2: the time. I watched your episode of Mindset Go again with oh, with Rick, and you yeah. introduced yourself as Dave, so I wasn't sure if you preferred that. So
0: There you go. doesn't matter. Nah, I really don't care. So. <laughs> I used to get David when I was growing up if I was in trouble. Whatever. I was going to
2: say, does that bring back some bad memories?
0: <laughs> no, nah, they're all good. I usually deserved it, so it's all good.
1: <laughs> as long as it's not David followed by the second that's name, right. the middle name.
2: What's your middle name? James. James. Yeah. Oh, that's a common name in my family, too. I like that name.
0: Yeah, it's a family name, so after a grandfather, sure. Mine too.
2: There you go. Oh, fun. Look at all the connections, eh? (laughs) Mindset go, James. So where do you live right now?
0: I'm just outside of London, Ontario.
2: Okay, and is that where you grew up? Yeah. So let's just get right into it then. So you grew up in the same area? Yeah. And you grew up doing sports?
0: Yeah, we were never inside. (laughs) You just have to stop playing outside to go to the organized sports events if you you had it. So stop playing road hockey to go play ice hockey or... (laughs) playing sandlot ball to go play baseball so yeah <laughs>
2: was it a situation where your mom was like get outside and i'll see you when it's dark
0: yeah my <laughs> mom had that down to a t she grew up with three brothers married a man with three brothers and then she had three boys
2: oh man
0: yeah and where are you in the mix i'm the middle do with that what you will
2: <laughs> well what's the age gap are you guys all pretty evenly spaced? We're, yeah we're
0: close so my older brothers we're only a year apart Oh, okay. And, uh, oh, wow. So I followed him everywhere. And then we have a younger brother as well. Works out pretty good.
2: Wow. So busy mom. Okay. I have two yes. boys who are 18 months apart. So yeah. I can only imagine three boys, three years.
0: Oof. <laughs> Brave woman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she is. Is she still, still with us? Oh, yeah. You? Yeah.
0: She was just by here dropping some groceries off on my porch. Okay.
1: Awesome. Oh, so, nice. I like to get a sense of who we are from where we came from. What do you think you've taken into your life from mom?
0: Dad was away quite a bit in the wintertime because he was a hockey referee. He repped like four Memorial Cups and a world junior. Oh, wow. But that takes you away a lot too. So she definitely got things done. (laughs) Her love of music really came through too. She was leader of the church choir and that. So the piano was always humming at home. Oh, nice. So I've usually got a song not too far away too. So I'm always singing or
2: something. Oh, nice. Do you play any instruments?
0: No. (laughs) I'll spare everybody from that.
1: Sure. <laughs> you were in sports. That was where you channeled it. And That's you had, right. And you had two brothers. What were they yes. like? What were their styles?
0: Athletically, we're all pretty similar. Scholastically, very different. They were really good in school. Yeah. And then there was me. <laughs> uh, I really liked going to school. I just didn't like going to class as much. Uh, I love the social side of school. Yeah. They really did well academically. Mm.
2: And are they still in the same area too?
0: Yeah, we actually have a business together and work together.
2: Oh, okay. What do you do now?
0: We have a construction company, a a lumber yard, a castle building center. My one brother, Chris, runs the retail side of it. And my brother, Jeff, runs the construction. I help out here and there where I can.
2: That's cool. Family biz.
0: The team. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, definitely a team.
2: Well, you seem like a team guy overall. One of my questions for you is if you ever were tempted to get an individual sports versus team sports, but I get ahead of myself because first we want to learn about your injury and what kind okay. of kick started your whole Paralympic career.
0: I acquired my injury quite a bit later than most people. I was 27 years old and I was playing hockey. I went head first in the boards. So I broke c uh, C6 in my vertebrae that way and then became a quadriplegic. That just means all four limbs are affected. So I got okay. minimal hand function and and not a lot of core so that was all in London Ontario and I did my hospital stint there and did the rehab at Parkwood Hospital in London I was never far away so tons of family and friends were allowed to visit and hang and I was a very social uh, environment which was good for me yeah and I know I need that and I fed off it too mm-hmm. shortly well actually during my stay I met a couple guys there that play wheelchair rugby in London we had oh. a pretty strong program here mm-hmm. it's a sport designed for quadriplegics and it's full contact, so it took them a while to, to get me out. I had a couple of minor setbacks uh, with my injury and that too, and, mm-hmm. but once I could get out, they talked me into it. I remember I went into the gym. It was the middle of a practice, and one guy went flying by, got hit by another guy's chair, grabbed the ball, and as he's falling out of bounds, he yelled, time out. I thought, okay, I signed up that day. It was awesome. <laughs> I was going to
2: say, wheelchair rugby is also known as murder ball, and did that attract you to it? Was that even more of an appeal?
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know I had to explain to my mom once again. Her son just got hurt playing ice hockey, so first thing I do is sign up for wheelchair rugby uh, murder ball. Uh, But once she saw me play, the passion, yeah. I had for it there's no problem there
2: you said you have limited arm and hand strength yeah watching the videos of you playing wheelchair rugby and stuff it seems like you have quite a bit of control did that improve
0: yeah well what i did have got a lot stronger okay i have full arms and shoulders and chest so pushing the chair is not a problem okay steering, steering it sometimes is but so the actual um,
2: hand function is still limited but you have yeah the, so uh, for like, it in your... I, I can't
0: my hands are always open okay okay so it looks pretty good because I can catch and throw the ball pretty good because they're always yeah. open. So it works out pretty good.
2: Wow. We spoke with Michael Frogley recently. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so we learned yeah. a little bit about wheelchair basketball and right. the classifications there. Is it a similar classification system for rugby? Like were there people on your teams who could actually walk with prosthetics or whatever, but for wheelchair rugby they're in the wheelchair? Yeah. Okay.
0: Wheelchair rugby was actually invented in Canada which is really cool. Ooh, go Canada. By a bunch of quadriplegics who didn't quite have the function to keep up or play basketball. Uh. So after a basketball practice in Manitoba in the mid-70s, four of them hung out in the gym together and kind of came up with this game that they could play. They started out like using a volleyball, so it's easier to catch and throw. And instead of shooting the hoop, you got to carry the ball over the goal line. And right. then, because they're crazy Manitobians, if that's a word.
2: <laughs> it is now. They
0: didn't get full contact. so Oh, jeez. It's uh, actually one of the few sports that isn't think, us and maybe goal ball and mm. a couple other where it's not derived from another sport. It's just fully invented on its own. Oh, if anything, okay. it's got a lot of basketball rules to it,
1: but, mm. uh, Okay. So, for those of us and many of the listeners who don't know the rules of wheelchair rugby, could you explain the game and how points are, are done and kind of what's different, how we can connect to it to basketball and if there's any connection to rugby?
0: Yeah. So, we play on a basketball court. So, it looks a lot like okay. basketball. We play four against four.
2: How many people on a full team? 12. Okay. So, you have okay. so we three have full substitutions, lines.
0: Just like basketball. Yeah. You have okay. to wait for a stoppage and play and you can substitute freely. Okay. At each end of the goal, there's two cones, they're about 30 feet apart. And you have to carry the ball through those combs. The fun part is chair to chair contact is allowed, and it's full contact, and you can hit any person at any time. But you don't have to have it. Yeah, you don't have to have the ball, which is cool.
2: <laughs> Some people might not call that cool. The mothers <laughs>
1: yeah, just take them out.
0: Yeah, so we have a lot of like pick and rolls, like basketball does in that. Except you're allowed to pick harder, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Oh! You have a doggy. Okay. Okay. We have two dogs in the kitchen now.
2: Two dogs. What kind of dogs do you have? Mine
0: is a puppy. Oh, sorry, and she's a labradoodle. Oh, oh. so a lot of energy. She just brought the neighbors' uh, dog in too. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so there you go, Dad. I'm just gonna have a play date. We live out in the country, so they're back outside now. Oh, oh. just, oh. Little, just in and out. They can use. Yeah, <laughs> they're gone. it was brief. It was a flurry. <laughs> God. So,
2: just like you guys when you were kids.
0: Came That's in for right. a snack
2: and ran back outside to play with the neighbors. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, my mom would say, I can't have nice things. <laughs> I don't even know what we're talking about. We're talking about the rules or something. So.
2: Oh, yeah. We just finished saying that you can hit anyone whenever you
0: want to. Yeah. And you get one point for every goal, or it's called a try now. And it's a very fast offensive game. Like a, a game's usually about 65 to 60. So there's a lot of goals being scored in a match full court press up and down.
2: You said it's a very offensive game. So do some people in their chairs, just kind of ram other chairs and, and create a path for whoever has the ball.
0: We even have two very specifically designed chairs just for that. Oh, uh, different chairs. Yeah. Yeah. We have guys in our team that I would consider uh, if you like football, you consider them more like offensive linemen where they're they're blocking for other guys and, and kind of paving the way.
2: Okay. And you said you can hit anyone at any time. Is there anything that's not allowed? Like what could yes. possibly get you a penalty? <laughs> I
0: used to I'm retired now, so I haven't got a penalty in a long time. Okay. But I used to get quite a few. Uh, <laughs> person person to person contact is not allowed.
2: Okay. So you can hit their chair, but you can't like
0: Take that's your right. Chair to chair contacts allowed. Okay. And that's it. Yeah, and then you can't hit from behind, okay. and then then you've got different infractions. I call them. They're not really fouls. <laughs> it's a gray area. Yeah, the gray area. <laughs> so you can't hit before the whistle either. You usually got to wait for the whistle. So yeah. that's
2: oh, come on.
0: <laughs> you did ask me about classification, and then I went off on of one of my tangents. I love tangents. We do have classification very similar. We're all less function than most basketball players. So we have seven different classes just like basketball does, but our function level is much lower, Okay. much lower. I'd say half of a basketball team might be able to stand or even, even walk. Uh, we might have one or two if they got the proper prosthetics that could do it.
2: Oh, okay.
1: But yeah. Classification is very important for us as well. So this is a new sport made in Canada and how far has this reached? How many countries do you know? Is it kind of quite broad in the Paralympic movement?
0: Yes. I'm not sure. Cause if I say a number, I'll get it wrong. <laughs> but only eight make the Paralympics. So it's a, oh. it's a tough qualification for sure. Fortunately, we've always been able to, I had the fortune or misfortune of first time it was a full medal sport it was in Sydney. And that was my first Paralympics mm-hmm. in 2000. Unfortunately we lost the bronze medal game. So we had Aww. fourth place, but we were in the gym for the medal ceremony. And I just happened to be sitting next to the, one of the men that invented the sport, Duncan Campbell. Cool. It was a pretty good moment to sit with a guy and watch a full metal presentation, you know, mm. and all the lives that these four guys in a gym affected. Yeah. That's so awesome. That was, a, that was a great moment.
2: Well, that's really cool. I just did a little side Google here as well. And apparently there are over 40 countries that actively participate in wheelchair rugby. Is that what you're going to guess somewhere around
0: there? Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Okay. But...
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, if you get asked. I can give you the top
0: 20 probably. Uh- <laughs>
2: yeah. But only eight countries actually make it to the Paralympics. Wow.
0: Yeah. Every year there's a few good countries sitting at home watching. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. It's very competitive. The Paralympic movement has really grown. You've seen a big change, I'm sure, in your years. How many Paralympics did you attend?
0: I was in five. I started in Sydney in 2000, and then I retired after uh, Rio. It's pretty amazing to, to see the whole development of the Paralympic movement. Cause you know, you're so caught in your tiny little world, uh, your own sport, uh, yeah. when you get to go to a, a multi-sport like this blows your way. Then every year it gets bigger and better and mm-hmm. the funding. And, the, the biggest switch was when athletes became full-time athletes. Mm-hmm. coaches are full-time coaches.
2: And when was that? When was that switch?
0: Some countries earlier than others, depending on your carding or sponsorship or, or whatever. So I thought the big move for us was around '04. Okay. You could hire a, a full-time coach just for Team Canada. That's wow. big. Now we have almost five full-time staff. Oh, wow. So,
2: so big difference between 2000 and 2016, hey?
0: That's right. Wow. Yeah.
2: So what's your role now that you've retired from competing?
0: Assistant coach for Team Canada.
2: Oh, okay. And are you guys going to Tokyo? Yes, we are. Woo-hoo.
0: We just got back from our first full team training camp. So it's the first time we were together as a full team in over a year. So that was nice.
2: Oh, nice. And so do you do the training exercises and stuff with them? Or how are you keeping okay. fit now that you're in retirement? Or are you? Well no. <laughs> Am I assuming too much?
0: You're assuming way too much.
2: <laughs> you put in your time.
0: That's why you're only getting the headshot.
2: <laughs> no full body Zoom calls here. That's hey? right.
1: Retiring and then entering a, a pandemic. Oh, yes. yeah.
2: jeez. That's right. <laughs> Double whammy. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I still get out and play recreational, but I'm obviously can do that all this year. So yeah, not really doing a lot. Yeah, blowing the whistle instead of pushing the chair. It's a little bit easier mm-hmm. on the body. It's a little harder on everything else. The old gray hairs are really starting to pop in now. So I blame the guys on that. It's the stress. It, it just
2: looks like a, like a dusty brown.
0: There you here. go. Yeah. There you go. It's a good filter. So.
2: Lowell's been having, I swear, like 10 years ago, I started noticing some gray hairs on his side. Yeah, and in ten years, I think he only has ten more little gray hairs. I don't know. I I don't I don't know what he what his secret it's is. His, how
0: it's a stress free home life. That's what's doing it. Oh.
1: Stress free home life. <laughs> and I, I actually, as a psychologist, I want gray hair.
2: And he was so stoked because people, you know, they trust people more that. Great.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's get more gray. I'm I'm cool with that. Yeah. Uh, you did say stress free home life, right? And That's right. What has home life been like for you? I hear you have a dog. <laughs>
2: yeah. Anyone else in the fam jam there?
0: No, just me.
2: What's your dog's name?
0: Rosie. Oh, cute. After Rosie LaRose, the French Canadian hockey player in Strange Brew, one of my favorite. Oh, fun. Of course, you got to get a movie reference in there. (laughs) That's got to be an old cheesy movie for me. So (laughs) Things are pretty quiet in my home life. Pretty laid back, guys. So. Do
2: you drive as well? Oh, yeah. Pretty independent. Every Every day I
0: get out and maybe drive to a job site or two. and I drive to the office, but I don't go in, so they bring out the odd document or whatever I need and
2: I love the pitter patter of the dog feet in the background. <laughs> we have an almost 200 pound St. Bernard. Oh, really? So not not quite so pitter pattery He's more like boom, no, boom, so much, so much. Yeah.
0: The bass. He
1: gives yeah. us a bit of bass in our podcast. But he
2: still thinks that he can go on my lap, which I let him because I love it. Yeah. I can't breathe,
0: but. No, yeah, very big dog. Beautiful dog, though.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, I love it. So you're talking about movie references. Were you in Murder Ball? Yeah. Oh, I, we have to watch that. We wondered if you were actually in it and uh, we watched the trailer for it already. You and the
1: boys. I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, and the boys. It's, it's, You've seen the whole movie I've already? I've seen the whole movie. Absolutely. Yes.
2: Oh, why wasn't I there? Who did you see this with? It's probably before <laughs> I got kidding. married. What year
1: did oh, I- Oh, that long ago? When did that get released? 2005.
2: Uh, oh, yeah. That was before we got married. Okay. Yeah. It's okay then. You're forgiven.
0: <laughs> oh, so, yeah. That was a cool moment in time.
2: Yeah. So what was your role? Just played?
0: Yeah. It was a documentary. So it was pretty easy. We're at the 2002 world championships in Sweden and the U S team was there with the film crew filming them. Oh, okay. And they'd never lost uh international game of wheelchair rugby to that point, let alone a tournament or anything.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And so they were going to film them for the next two years, all the way to Athens and make this little movie called the road to gold or something. They were going to call it. And uh, we didn't like that. So <laughs> we beat them twice. <gasps> in between, oh, then we beat them again in Athens. The movie kind of morphed it really closely, follows three players on the U.S. team, okay. and it follows our head coach, who was American. Oh, okay. And kind of the rivalry between Canada and the U.S. is highlighted, and fortunately, I was one of the captains for the team back then. And
2: They should have changed the name to Canada's Road to Gold. <laughs>
0: it's a U.S. movie, so we're kind of the bad guys. It was pretty <laughs> funny. So
2: when you beat them. Wow, good for you. You guys, you chose a good time when uh, you had yeah. some airtime. <laughs>
0: that was pretty neat.
2: Are you in touch with? Or do you know personally any of the American players or Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Quite quite a few of them. We're still in touch and I played six full seasons in the States on club teams. Oh, okay. A lot of us do that. Over the years you make some really good friendships there.
2: No hard feelings over stealing their glory in a movie.
0: <laughs> Not on my end. Uh, <laughs> no, no, they're all they're all good. Rugby's just one of those and I, I think that's a lot of our culture of our sport too. You go at it so hard on the court and then you kind of tip your hat to the other guy.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: The social side after is, is big too. So
2: yeah.
1: Every documentary has its own story that they're telling. How did you feel that they did with murder ball?
0: I thought they did a really good job. Everything was interwoven and kind of came together at the end where they followed this brand new injury. He was on a dirt bike and followed him through his rehab. And he met one of our rugby guys in the rehab hospital and kind of showed him coming up. So it kind of said, this is where we all started too." It hit a lot of good topics. I thought it was really good.
1: And then you've been able to be a part of the other documentary series and see if there's others you've done, but one that we've shared together, Mindset Go. Julie yep. and I were the health and fitness coaches on season two, and you were able to come in and work alongside Rick. And what was that experience like for you?
0: It was really cool. Rick had a heart the size of Texas, as oh, they say. sweetest so man. He was such a good guy. It was like there was no cameras around us. We were just chatting all the time and, and hanging out. Are
2: you still in touch with him?
0: No, no. I wonder how he is doing too. Yeah, I was wondering that too. You guys should do follow-up shows.
2: I know. Well, we dreamt about it while we were doing it. We wanted to do like a six-month or year or something mm-hmm. follow-up. Yeah, because I mean, the whole idea was it was meant to be... The hope was that it was a lifestyle change, and that was just the first Mm -hmm. 12 weeks of a whole change. The
0: good thing about a show like that, whether it works or not with that particular person, is how many people get to see it, and maybe Mm -hmm. other light bulbs are going on all over the place.
1: The realization of that show is that it's relationships. The care, the relationships, the meaning, the passion. And to bring in Paralympians, Paralympic hopefuls, these athletes who've been through so many struggles in their life to really get the sense of the mindset. How do you overcome obstacles? And you were able to really connect with Rick in that episode. He did have a heart the size of Texas, mm-hmm. yeah. loves his family, loved his kids, and Great. really wanted to do the best. And that coaching, it really was a pivotal moment in his story when he got to meet you.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's
2: good. That was your idea, wasn't it, Lowell, to have Paralympians involved in the story?
1: Yeah, Fantastic. Working with AMI TV, we were wanting to do yeah. some project and, and I wanted to share the stories, the mindset of Paralympians overcoming and they merged that with a, and a pitch that they had just had from an ATV to do a kind of weight loss show and the passion really was to how do we increase people's well-being usually out of mindset and relationship and that's where Mindset Go was created.
0: Well, you guys nailed it. It was good from start to finish like the progression, you know, the timelines when you brought in the Paralympians was, I thought really good timing. Cause it's kind of when they need a little boost. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's a time in the journey where we hit the messy middle and you're probably in there with teams. And as a coach, you know, when that is right at the beginning, you have all right. the gumption and all the, the best hopes and dreams and desires near the end, you've, you've already come through it and you're, right. you've got the end goal in mind, but there's this messy middle time where things just almost seem too far, too difficult. And that's when we need the right support, the right input. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
2: Yeah, it was pretty cool that we got to do two seasons and we we wanted to do a third, but we were just too busy and couldn't make it happen. But Stephanie Dixon was the coach in the third. And she's awesome too. So it was, she was a really good fit.
0: (laughs) She must be really hard to work with. You got to keep bringing her energy up all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She's one of the good
1: ones.
2: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: And one of our angles here really is the obstacles can become opportunities. And I'm wondering in your life, how you see that apply to you. I'd say that's kind of evident by you having an injury and now becoming a Paralympian, but as you see it in life, what, what has been that for you? What's the lesson, the learning?
0: The big thing uh, that helped me early on was the ability to just put my ego away. At the start, it'd take the whole morning to get dressed. To ask for help early was pretty key to me. And the mindset of figuring out different ways to accomplish the same thing, if you can, there's a hurdle in front of you and you can't get over the hurdle, maybe you can go around it or you can go under it or something else, or maybe that's just not your route. It is a mindset thing. So if you just look at things a different way, a lot of the time, that's a good Mm -hmm. way to do it.
2: It just reminded me of that classic bear book. What's that book called again? Can't go under it. Can't go through it. Can't go around it. Guess we better go over it, you know?
1: It's the going on a bear hunt. Oh yeah, going
2: on a bear hunt. So you're just going on a bear hunt.
0: There you go. (laughs) I must have missed that one. Oh, <laughs> look it up.
1: <laughs> but the idea when you come to the obstacle, it's that assessment. Yes. Is this something that I need to overcome? Is there an opportunity on the other side? Or is this actually the world or life telling me to maybe not go down this road anymore? And that, that takes wisdom to understand if we let this go or keep going. But if it yeah. is something I know on the other side of this is passion and meaning and purpose. Okay. How do I do it? And as somebody who has limited mobility now and limited functioning hands, you're going to find ways you're going to adapt and be creative and, and get help when you need it. But also I'm sure you just find ways to get it done.
0: A big thing that helps too, is right away asking yourself, like, does it have to be done right away? Like what's your timeline on this thing? Right. Is it the end of the world? if I don't get to it till whenever. So,
1: so some patience has been helpful. Baby
0: steps, baby steps. You bet. Were you patient
2: before? Were you a patient person before your accident? Uh, No. Had to learn that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was always in a hurry for sure. So what has changed in your life? How is David James different after than he was from before? He's
2: going to think he's in trouble. Careful, careful. No, back of my,
0: hair on the back of my (laughs) neck just, I don't know how much I've changed as much as I've been able just to, I know there's a a couple of things that uh, I know drove like my parents crazy and maybe some of my teachers before, but they might've turned out to be strengths actually. I'm not a worrier. I don't worry about stuff. Mm-hmm. Things don't really weigh on my mind. Right away is you know, you process there's something I can do about it or is there not? So that that helps a lot, especially when you're laying in the hospital bed with a halo on for twelve weeks mm. and people are feeding you. The other thing was I don't really plan ahead too well. Like when I had to get you to resend me the link for this Zoom.
2: <laughs> That's fine. I was impressed that it was on your mind in the morning.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So my my lack of having a real set plan agenda at the time of my accident, like I always have a general idea where I'm going, but I kind of figure it out as I go. Mm -hmm. I think that helped out a lot too.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm actually a lot like you in that way. That worry doesn't play a lot of time in my mind. I try to bench worry when I can. And there's there's a moment he has a time to come on and and I think five minutes of listening to worry can be helpful. Is there something I can do about this? How do I fix it? Is there something I can do? But beyond that, it just seems to be a waste of energy. Yeah. And
2: then, and then that demeanor and attitude of Lowell's has rubbed off on me in a good way because if I'm feeling worried about something and if he's not home, I'm like, oh, I need to talk to him about this. I'm like, oh, he'll probably, you know what? He's probably not gonna be worried about it. He's probably, gonna, okay, it's okay. And I just <laughs> I bring myself through nice. the process and calm down. So
0: it's contagious. That's <laughs> yeah. a good thing.
2: I know it's a good thing to be contagious because I yeah. you know panic can also be <laughs> contagious. So well, you know.
0: Fear, panic, worry, they're all good instincts to have. Yeah. Just can't live in them.
2: Like if you see a bear. That's right. (laughs) It's probably good to. Well, we had recently, I was driving the kids. We were going skiing and we were on a divided highway and we were going 110, which is a speed limit. And all of a sudden in my lane headed right for me was a pickup truck. Uh, No way. Yeah. And so it's a divided highway. And even if it wasn't a divided highway, he was on the wrong side of the road. I was so relieved that my instinct was to swerve <laughs> and yes. so relieved that there was nobody beside me or behind me that I could do that. And also that we didn't meet on a hill or something, but I, th- I thought I was losing my mind. I was glad the boys were there to tell me like, no, there was a truck that came towards you. Cause after I'm like, did I imagine that? Did that just happen? <laughs> anyway. That's but, crazy. Mm-hmm. I know. And then I was paranoid the whole time. Like, what if there's a car coming right over on the top of that hill? Like there's, we're toast. Like I, <laughs> there's n- nothing I can do about it.
0: That's right. So
2: I pulled over and called the police right away just in case. So in that case, you know, the fear and the reflexes, it's (laughs) It's okay. Yeesh. And I live to tell about it. Thank goodness. Were there any points in either shortly after your injury or at any point in the last, has it been 20 years yet? Not quite 20 years. 25? 25. Oh yeah. Okay. Have there been any points where you've just felt like giving up and what has your mindset been then that, that kept you going?
0: Yeah, I've never been to the point of giving up. You got your daily frustrations. You got your get stuck in the snow and you're by yourself, or fall out of your chair at home and the chair rolls away, or, or whatever it is.
2: Does that happen quite a bit?
0: Well, I fall out of my chair quite a bit. Chairs are a little tippy, or uh-huh. you get a good spasm. Our legs get spastic sometimes. Or uh, you're just wheeling down the sidewalk and you don't see a stone or a crack in the sidewalk. And it happens. Gravity always wins.
1: Yeah. Ugh.
0: I've never been to the point of giving up. I had to go back into the hospital fairly shortly after my injury for a pressure sore and heart rate stuff. So then you're just kind of bedridden. So at least when you're doing your rehab, you're getting a little stronger every day. You're going down to the gym. It was mm-hmm. a sad time. But once again, good family and friends and yeah. rallied. And you kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Thankfully, I've been back to the, the hospital in 25 years. So mm. better knock on wood real quick there. So
2: if you're not playing wheelchair rugby anymore, then. It's less likely you'll go back to the hospital. Did you get any additional injuries from playing?
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I was really fortunate that I never missed a game.
2: And you guys don't wear helmets? No, we don't. You don't, and you don't hit your heads?
0: So, yeah, we do. Oh. Uh, (laughs) We have full concussion protocols. It doesn't happen very often. It's, It's very rare. We have little wheels on the back of our chairs, too, to stop you from going over backwards, and we're strapped into our chairs very well.
2: Good. Minimize those concussions <laughs> slash eliminate.
0: We've always got medical staff on court with us, mm-hmm. even in
1: practices. It's funny. I do the uh, concussion protocol too, as Cycling Canada as a cyclist. The struggle yeah. is most of those are done through vision. And so being a visually well, impaired athlete, it would be. <laughs> it's like almost everything. I was like, yeah, you already have a concussion, Lola. No, no, I'm just yep. blind. <laughs> just really slow response time.
0: You're exactly the same as your baseline. <laughs> every day.
2: Is there not another option?
1: Uh, they're, they're working on it. We actually, for a while, didn't do the concussion protocol because it was so vision heavy, but I think what they can do is see what my baseline is if if it's possible, but they are, you've done probably more than I, they're quite visual, aren't they?
0: There is. Yeah. Some aspects are visual. Yeah. I could, I never even thought of that. See
1: the differences in disability and how we measure and how we treat. But that's the beauty of the Paralympic movement. It's the adaptations for so many disabilities. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And it's interesting seeing the science now on concussion and post-concussion stuff. Have you seen the documentary on Aaron Hernandez?
0: Yes, I have.
2: Yeah, that's quite eye-opening. hard
0: to believe that's a fiction movie. If you watch it, you're like, oh, this isn't real.
2: Yeah, scary. It is. Yeah, protect your brains, kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Great.
1: Well, Dave, I have a little mindset check-in. We okay. have this little segment called <laughs> The Word Bird. The Word Bird? Yeah. Do
2: you remember Fred Penner? He's from Manitoba, I think, but he had a kid's show, and he strummed his guitar oh, cool. and sang kid's songs, and then he had a, a tree that had a word bird in it, and the, the oh, bird, yeah, so that's where we just ripped it off of him.
0: <laughs> oh, that's good. I was more of a Mr. Dress Up and Friendly Giant guy myself. Oh, yeah, very yeah. similar. Love Mr. Dress Up, too. Th- yeah. The
1: same time mm-hmm. for us, but we're maybe a little bit younger. Yeah, I'm an old. Thanks for saying <laughs> <seeing> that. yeah. <laughs>
2: Thanks for rubbing that in, Lol.
1: Real subtle, Lol. Subtle.
2: <laughs> the wisdom. We just, we just That's we can right. we feel the wisdom just oozing out of you.
1: Oh uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so Fred Penner, this word bird, yep. it actually has nothing to do with what I'm going to ask you, but it just, we okay. needed a name for it and I thought it'd be fun. <laughs> I'm going to say a word yep. and I'd just like you to re- respond back. What does this word mean to you? Okay. Hope. Tomorrow. Hope's awesome.
0: Tomorrow, the next day. Hope for me just means the future. Mm-hmm. What we can do. Failure. Missed opportunity. It's not a scoreboard thing or anything like that. If I made a mistake communicating my thoughts or something like that, I I really failed.
1: Mm -hmm. Perseverance.
0: Keep getting up. We all get knocked down. Sometimes it's not a metaphor, but uh, sometimes it is. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it it doesn't have to be right away either. Sometimes it takes a while to figure it out, but just stay with it. I think perseverance and hope go pretty well together Mm because it's all down the road. Mm -hmm. Growth. Right now, I'm just thinking like the growth of our sport at the grassroots level, trying to get as many young kids into the game, into the system of being healthy. It doesn't matter what your sport is. I go to the hospital or whatever and talk to people, like no matter what your passion was, whether it's art, music, or they've made adaptive devices so you can carry on.
1: It's great. I'm just interested in this, this one too. And it's, it's an interesting topic. We've just said the word a couple of times and it means different things to different people, but disability, what does that mean to Dave?
0: Well, the inability to do something physically. It's a fact. It's not a mindset. You physically can't do this. So I would say like Steve Nash's disability in basketball is he can't dunk. He still did okay. <laughs> but it's a fact that he can't dunk. To me, disability is, is a fact of life and everybody's got them. Some are just more obvious.
1: Mm-hmm. And last one, acceptance.
0: Hmm. Acceptance is just like being okay with it. It's not beating yourself up or, or feeling less of a person with whatever it is work or whatever you just accept it and usually you go straight from acceptance into hope really mm.
2: how quick was that journey for you after your accident
0: On sometimes real quick let's face it it affects every part of your life and a lot of things you don't even think about it until down the road the first thing i was actually worried about was feeding myself again mm.
1: there's those small steps you speak about right just yeah what's the next thing learn to feed myself okay learn to wheel myself learn to drive let's just continue to learn and grow
0: and I was working construction, which was all physical, mm. all in my hands. So obviously I couldn't do that again, but I didn't really worry too much about it. Fortunately, it's family business. Yeah. And I got in on the pricing side of construction and working the paper trail.
1: Be able to still work and still provide and have yeah, meaning purpose <laughs> with the family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we joke. It is important. Yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. To have yeah. meaningful work, to, to be able to take care of ourselves in this way is is something that is important to many of us. Yeah, you bet.
2: Were you able to take time off or have more limited time with the family business when you were more involved with wheelchair rugby?
0: Uh, Very much so. Okay, that's nice. I take all the time off I needed, actually. That is also the thing with with a team sport. You actually physically have to be together as a team a lot more. Yeah. So the time away from home is quite a bit. My two brothers are athletes and my dad's an athlete. It's in the family, so... They'd actually get mad at me if I stayed home and missed something, so. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and did your family business uh, sponsor your team?
0: <laughs> Local team, of course. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> you were son of a ref, was he also international coach? International ref. An international ref, like this is. Referee, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so an international referee. For hockey, yeah. How yeah. did that shape you?
0: I think, like not knowing at the time, but looking back, here's a man who, he refed uh, the OHL for, I don't know how many years, and he'd ref 60 games in a year. All out of town and still not miss a day of work. Really, he drive Peterborough wherever and referee the game at night and get home early in the morning and still go to work all day. And it's good to have your love and your passions, but you still got to be responsible at the end of the day. Did
2: he start the family business?
0: No, it's it's an old old business, but he worked there for a long time and then my parents bought it in the early nineties.
2: Okay, still to hold that and. (laughs) <laughs> yes, like an international it's, it's pretty ref.
0: amazing, actually. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and then for you, yeah. too, to be involved with that and wheelchair rugby. Yeah, fortunately,
0: my two brothers cover for me all the time, oh. <laughs> so he didn't have anybody to cover for him.
2: Uh, busy family.
1: You've been to five Paralympic Games. What does the Paralympic spirit mean to you?
0: You can't tell people who've never been there what it's like in the Athlete's Village. If you spend any time in the Athlete's Village with all these Paralympians, thousands of different disabilities and one thing I think we can take for granted I don't think we dismiss it but we do we forget about it sometimes is the medical system and everything that we have in Canada when you're exposed to uh, the poorer countries and and people making do without even the proper adaptive devices Mm -hmm. but just the overall attitude in the village everybody's in a great mood everybody works their butt off everybody supports each other yeah and I think that's contagious too I know people that as fans or volunteers have worked both Olympics and Paralympics, and they say there's there's no comparison between the two as far as the vibe, the fun, the, the energy, the camaraderie that's at the Paralympics. It's pretty contagious.
2: That's what Stephanie said too, especially in Australia.
0: Is she stealing my notes? <laughs>
2: I'm calling her
0: when, we, when we're done here. <laughs> you're that Dixon, you're getting a call. <laughs>
2: My question about your five Paralympic Games is: Which one was your favorite?
0: You take something out of all of them. Obviously, if you go by results, it's obvious you go Athens and in London. But Sydney and London—they're rugby nations, and the crowds were so crazy. Oh, and yeah. they all know who you are going down the road, and it'd be like playing hockey in Canada if Canada hosted, you know, a Winter Olympics. Yeah. Rugby's usually the first sport to sell out.
2: How big are those crowds?
0: Uh, depending on the, so we play in the basketball. So it's anywhere from, if you're in the smaller gym, probably 5,000, but usually about 12.
2: So that's going to be probably a big difference going into Tokyo. Hey, the limited yeah,
0: viewers. Yeah. But it'll, be, it'll still be better than in Beijing where, I'm not saying that it was forced attendance. Um,
2: <laughs> but it was forced attendance.
0: <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they didn't know the sport. They're clapping at the wrong time. And, oh. <laughs> so it's going to be weird playing without a crowd.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. hopefully they'll at least do like the cardboard cutout thing have a few people or like a laugh track soundtrack
0: they said there's gonna be no foreign oh so local people yeah and wheelchair rugby is a huge sport in japan they're reigning world champs and Mm -hmm. they have a huge following over there okay every time we play just even normal tournaments there it's good crowds
1: so it'll still be a good crowd there
0: yeah, I don't know if they got limits on.
2: Yeah, it probably depend. I wonder if they have to have testing or yeah. all these new fun pandemic measures.
1: The
0: new, new.
2: You roll with it. <laughs>
1: the new, new. What would you tell somebody in their life earlier? They get injured, they have this big loss. What do they need to hear from somebody who's already been through it?
0: Well, first of all, you, you have to own this because it's, it's your journey, right? So the worst thing you can do is tell somebody what to do or be preachy. Mm-hmm. First of all, you find out what their previous passion was. Get to them through that because you got to get the door open. And then through conversation, you know, I remember the first time the, the guy pretty much similar function to me came to visit and he said something happened on the way here and he cut a guy off and he goes, it's hard when you drive with your hands to give the guy the finger. <laughs> and I'm, I'm laughing, but I didn't even know he could drive or anything like that. So all these little possibilities start popping mm-hmm. up and just really push the positive side of stuff. There's so many things you can do Don't worry about the things you can't mm-hmm. really.
2: At what stage did you start driving again?
0: As soon as they let me out. Oh, really? Pretty much, yeah.
2: So you have an adapted vehicle?
0: Yeah. So at that time, I was still really weak, and uh, I couldn't get in and out of a car by myself. So I had a van with a lift, but now it's like a Ford Flex. It's It looks like a shoebox, and then it's just got the hand controls on it. Okay. Take the chair apart, put it in the passenger seat, and drive away.
2: How do you get yourself in? You lift yourself right into the driver's seat, and yeah, then move your chair yeah, into the just, passenger seat. Okay, arms wow. and shoulders. You are strong.
0: <sighs> Some days,
2: <laughs> that could be a workout for the day. Hey, just That's get right. yourself in and out of the van. Right.
0: <laughs> just do that in the garage. Keep getting up because I'm not, I can't go anywhere. So I might as well.
2: yeah, well, it's functional. That's, That's right. functional exercise. <laughs> Lowell, did you have any other?
1: Well, I do. To cover? Didn't really touch much into the coaching side, and I just wanted mm. to check in on that. It's how did you get into coaching, and then. What do you think makes a good coach?
0: Well, like a lot of Paralympic coaches, you get into it by accident. So I was playing and then we didn't have a a club coach. So I kind of player coached that. And then I did the same thing at the provincial level. I was fortunate to be captain and co-captain of Team Canada for about 12 years. So you're kind of a coach on the floor as well.
2: You had leadership practice.
0: Yeah. Accumulated right to the end like that. Mm -hmm. I like the teaching side of it. People laugh that I'm pretty calm and cool and collected as a coach because that wasn't the way when I played. (laughs) (laughs) The big difference between coaching and playing is uh, when you play, everything is so immediate. Like that play is the most important play in the world and nothing else matters Mm -hmm. until the next play. And then as a coach, you're like a step back. Plus I'm the assistant coach, right? So everybody blames the head coach all the time. You've never seen a headline in the sports column say "Assistant (laughs) assistant coach game plan. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> but,
0: he's always the head coach. So I'm having a blast actually. Yeah. Working with the guys.
2: When you were going through wheelchair rugby as a player, did you have yeah. coaches that were also wheelchair rugby players or did you have able-bodied coaches?
0: I had four coaches at five Paralympics and one of them was a previous player of wheelchair rugby.
2: Did you feel there was a difference?
0: In some ways? Yeah, very much so. So like I said, I had four the four coaches and for me, I got the right coach at the right time. I was really lucky. Oh, wow. going all the way through. Like the first guy was a real uh, call as you see him, take charge, noble kind of guy mm-hmm. who would take risks and gambles on young guys. So he got me really green and put a lot of faith in me, which is exactly what you need to start. Yeah. And then the next guy was a true X and O playbook kind of guy. So I had to learn that side of it yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> And then it just kept going. And then later in my career, the guy that really pumped out the fitness side of it.
1: When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And it sounds like you were ready to learn the lesson. Mr.
0: Miyagi, you're pretty good. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And then that's also the, the best part about playing sports all the way growing up. You get a little bit from, you know, this basketball coach in high school or baseball, hockey coaches, everything, right? So you always try to take the best of all, but I'm having a blast doing it.
1: And that's an important part. If we're not having fun, what are we doing? right? This. Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: When they offered me the position, they asked if it might, might be a problem, you know, coaching some of my best friends. And I said, well, it won't be for me. It <laughs> might be for them. <laughs> um, but it, it's worked out really well.
2: So are some of them, speaking of your best friends and the your fellow players, are they from your area? Like, do you actually spend time with them now, regularly?
0: Yeah. Well, pre-COVID, oh, yeah, pre-COVID, we have Yeah. a bunch of play on the uh, London team and... And, and Toronto's not far away, so we have little barbecues and get-togethers.
1: The power of community. Yeah, that's friendship.
0: awesome. friendship.
1: 100%. And that's really what I love about sport, that yep. it's a chance to dig deep, see what your limits are, push beyond those limits where you can, but it's doing it around others, sharing those experiences. So I guess my final question for you would be, what have you learned from sport? What has sport taught you?
0: Well. Wow. How long has this been, another hour, Noel? <laughs>
1: We're just beginning. Sure, keep it rolling. <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, I
2: wasn't recording at the beginning, so <laughs> <That's right. laughs> take your time. Tell us everything.
0: I like sport because, well, a big part of it is, let's say you lose a game. Well, you're going to play another game tomorrow. Nothing is final in sport. I mean, oh, you just lost the gold medal at the Paralympics. Yeah, but we got qualifier for Worlds coming up soon. There's always something going on in sport, which is the same in life. Because only one team wins that last game, right? No matter how good the teams are. I think that's a big part of it. But the other thing is like just how much fun I have playing. Just the day-to-day grind. Because to be honest, even if wheelchair rugby wasn't a Paralympic sport, I'd still be playing full throttle at the club level, at the provincial level, how many levels there are, Mm -hmm. world championships level. And then... Actually, be in the Paralympics—it's the biggest reward, that's for sure. But you, you still—you put in the work and you enjoy it.
2: Can you even imagine where you would be right now if it weren't for sport in your life?
0: Well, you need a bigger screen to get me because I would be a big dude.
1: (laughs) 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 Smooth those calories.
0: (laughs) I tell you, this conversation—the whole tone of it would be different. I know I'd be a lot more sullen, and the happiness probably wouldn't be there. And Mm. it's funny how you know. Because of sport, I'm in a good mood. So then people want to be around you. So you have more friends. Everything kind of snowballs that way. Whereas no one wants to hang out with an Eeyore all the time. And they call up in the morning. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Oh, not too bad. You know, Nobody wants that guy. So I owe a lot of it to sport. And then obviously there's the physical side of it and the passion of competing and and all that that goes with it. But just as a general lifestyle, Mm -hmm. it makes me happy. I'd like to get happy.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, most of us do. <laughs>
1: and you can still slam into each other and have contact sport even after the injury. I and mean, that's, that's another great. thing. I was maybe was one of the words I was going to say earlier was fragility or fragile. Like you think yeah. sometimes people treat those with disabilities that somehow fragile or not able. And it's, you look at these guys in the basketball team. You look at these guys in the in the rugby teams. You guys yeah. are buff and strong and just powerhouses
0: yeah and there's a flip side to it too how vulnerable we are as well and that we're all aware of too right but yeah i like when somebody new comes out to watch and the hands are over their eyes sometimes they're <gasps> taking their breath back and, <laughs> and then five minutes later though they're screaming hit him get him so, more yeah, yeah. <laughs> hit him harder that's right it's a nice transition to watch usually when we have a new guy come out he brings his uh, girlfriend wife or, or it depends how young he is maybe his mom sometimes. They do. They have a little bit of a panic in their eye at the Mm -hmm. start. It quickly changes them. They see the light in the kid's eye.
2: Yeah, the joy.
1: Well, we definitely feel your joy. We see your happiness. (laughs) We're inspired by your mindset, the attitude, what you've brought to Rick through Mindset Go, what you provide every day as an assistant coach, continuing to work, spending time with your family. So we want to wish you the best of luck this year in Tokyo. We definitely Mm -hmm. will be cheering, and hopefully I'm there as well. Um, yes but if not we'll be cheering from home okay
2: <laughs>
1: we'll see you there Lowell. yeah
2: thank you i appreciate that positive <laughs> outlook
1: thanks
0: for this today guys i had a lot of fun
2: yeah thank you it was our pleasure thanks mm-hmm. for sharing your story
0: absolutely yeah.
2: okay well i'll make sure that when you guys are both in tokyo Lowell gets a, a socially distant selfie of the two of you and sends it to me okay
0: i'd like that sounds okay. good
2: perfect awesome okay.
1: take, take care guys you too take care yeah bye David James Wilsey.
2: <laughs> He's going to hear that. And his, the hairs on the back of his neck are going to stand up again. Yeah,
1: that's his uh, <laughs> I'm in trouble name. What a guy. That's That was a really fun conversation.
2: Yeah, he has had a lot of experience with wheelchair rugby.
1: Anybody who hasn't seen Murder Ball, I mean, it's unlike any other documentary you've seen. So please check it out. It has uh, amazing characters. It has passion.
2: Oh, even the trailer had me on the edge of my seat. And by the time our listeners hear this, I will have seen it. (laughs) I'm going to watch it tonight.
1: Yep. Go check it out. Here's a man who had this accident and his life was changed in a moment, but his mindset turned that obstacle into this amazing new opportunity, new relationships, new sport, and the power of community that's helped him travel the world, bring home gold medals for Canada, and now he continues to help and coach and help other people through their struggles. That's an incredible story arc.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. I keep thinking of myself, though, talking to these amazing athletes and how their mindset went to acceptance so quickly, and I just don't know if I could do that. I hope I could. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they, before their accidents, if they would have envisioned themselves accepting mm-hmm. it that quickly, or if when they're in that situation, they're just mm-hmm. it just shifts.
1: And it's just that power of acceptance. I often yeah. say that pain is inevitable, but suffering is the choice. And in this case, so many of these athletes in the hospital room, they made up their mind to get over this, right? In their recovery, they were already finding a way through connecting to that meaning, that passion, that next step. And so it might be a select bias, right? Where these people already had the mindset that was setting them up for sport to get them through their disability, through their struggle. And, and maybe sometimes, too, it is this something that they have to learn in the heat, in the fire, that they learned that overcoming they had to accept in order to get to this next level.
2: Yeah. Oh man, Lol. I hope you get to Tokyo and I'll be very jealous of you wandering through athletes village with all those Paralympians. Uh, I know it's different in pandemic times, but I'm jealous of the opportunities that you'll hopefully get to mm. stop and just chat with as many people as possible. Like, take notes, please, and ask them to be on our podcast, because this is why we started it, because yeah. I want i want to know the stories.
1: I do think, though, that we have to be in our own bubbles. So I don't think even if we go, oh. we're going to actually have a real Paralympic Games experience yeah. where athletes will not be able to intermingle. It's going to be too dangerous. Even hugging family, friends will get you disqualified. Right. So there's there's a big change this year. It'll probably feel a lot different.
2: Well, it's a good thing we have see. a podcast.
1: Yep. So <laughs> speaking of that, anybody who is out there, if you have a story of overcoming in sport, please connect with us. Connect with us through social media at Pod,
2: Or you can reach out to us on our personal social media handles at Julie Lowell Can on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That's at J U L I E. L-O-W-E-L-L-C-A-N
1: And you can also check out the website www.obstaclesandopportunities.com
2: Yeah, seriously guys we could listen to these stories all day I mean Lowell has a full-time job and also is training and has a lot going on so we don't have literally all day but I, I could, I would
1: <laughs> And we hope you are able to take something from today's talk into your life apply it and keep moving forward have fun, overcome
2: Yeah, thanks David and until next time everybody Take care Bye. Bye
1: bye.